Praise the Lord, everyone. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution. It is October 24th, 2019, and we're about to get into another series. This series is simply named 310. 310 for Revelation 310. Probably one of the toughest subjects that we'll deal with in our position against pre-tribulationism. But you know me. I'm a man that likes a good fight. You have just joined the Revelation Revolution. the Lord everyone again I'm so glad to be with you on tonight uh, glory to God as we prepare for another very exciting series now we know that uh, in my past broadcast we've been dealing with a lot of the tenets of concerning pre-tribulationism number one being is the Holy Spirit the restrainer of second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 and uh, of course those of you who've followed along in our study know that uh, in the first few lessons I go through extensively and show you with the Bible glory to God how pre-tribulationist when they developed their theory left out the people or left out the entities that they should have been looking at concerning the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit the angels that restrain the demonic principalities doing time in the bottomless pit and how this whole idea that it was the Holy Spirit doing this restraining number one not only is it incorrect they completely overlooked a viable biblical option so that was one uh, area the second area is this. They talked about how the word church is not found in the book of the Revelation after chapter 3. And we did an extensive study on that as well as to the reasons why John, how John used the word church in the first place in Revelation. He only used it in a local sense. However, when pre-tribulationists make that argument, they always say the church. Well, when you say the church, you're talking about the body of Christ. The church is 
Pauline theology that Paul received by revelation from Jesus Christ directly. The other apostles did not get that revelation. Therefore, the other apostles or New Testament writers, other than in the book of Hebrews, never used the word church the way Paul used it. So, and the reason why that's important is because of this. When you say the church is not found, the term church or the church is not found in Revelation, you are building an argument that the church has already been raptured by the end of Revelation chapter 3. And you're basing it upon the word not being found. Now, pre-trib does not, of course, base their whole theory on this. Neither do they base their whole theory, theory upon who the restrainer is. But the fact is, if you use that logic where the word church is not found, you'd have to throw out Second Peter, Titus, Second Timothy, First John, Second John. And also you would have to throw out basically First Peter because the word church is only used once in First Peter, but it is at the end of the epistle and it's talking about the church that is at Babylon. Well, in the other translations, the word church isn't used in the other translations anyway. Uh, so really, the word church isn't used in 1 Peter. 2 Peter, 2 Timothy, Titus, 1 John, 2 John. And one of the reasons this is, the other New Testament writers did not use the word church the way Paul did. And so they only use it in a local sense. This is why you see John using it in a local sense in Revelation. There's another word, however, that Paul used when he, was, when he wasn't using the term church. He used the, the term saints, which, uh, meaning Christians. This word John does use in Revelation. So it's a categorical error to expect to see Pauline theology in John's writings, number one. Number two, and it's an oversight to think that Paul only used the term church to refer to the church. He also used the word saints, hagios, which, which John also uses. Now, again, these are just some of the arguments that pre-trib uses and that we have dealt with in past podcasts. Another issue that comes up is when we speak in terms of the tribulation saints, the so-called tribulation saints, these have been treated as the left behind, you know, Tim LaHaye in his book Left Behind and the movie Left Behind, you know, that whole series. The reason why pre-trib has to create another group of believers called tribulation saints is because they cannot deny the fact that the Bible says saints are here. Now, the fact is, since they teach that the Holy Spirit is the restrainer of 2 Thessalonians that had to be removed because they claim could nobody else fit the bill, and like I say, go. You have to go back to my um, uh, my uh, my previous podcast uh, 
Well, I, 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 I talk about this extensively, I'm, but I'm only doing a cursory review right now uh, so we can get to our new series, kick our new series off 310. But the whole idea is if this restrainer that is holding back the revealing of the Antichrist is the Holy Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit who is resident in the church has to be removed before the Antichrist is revealed. I want you to understand the priest rib logic. If that is the case, if the Holy Spirit has been removed, then that means his salvific ministries in the life of believers, such as sealing a person, uh, infilling a person, baptizing a person into the body of Christ, uh, which, which are all uh, ministries to the believer during the age of the church. All of those ministries have to stop when the church goes because the Holy Spirit is gone. Okay. And then, uh, and I think in my last uh, uh, two podcasts, I talk about, I actually read uh, to you Dr. Dwight Pentecost's work from Things to Come. Uh, how he says that since the Holy Spirit has been removed, the believers in Revelation chapter 13, the believers in Revelation uh, uh, 7, uh, uh, glory to God, all of these, these individuals then are not in field with the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is gone when the church will left. So therefore, they are saints, but they're not infilled by the Holy Spirit. And if they're not infilled by the Holy Spirit, they cannot therefore be members of the church because the ministry to the church is gone because the, the restrainer is taken. So therefore, these are saints, but they're tribulation saints. They have nothing to do with the church because the church is gone already. Now, this group of tribulation saints is created because pre-tribulation says that they can't be members of the church. My position is in the uh, in the in the form of pre-rap that I teach, which is different than Mar uh, Mar uh, uh, Marvin Rosenthal and others that teach pre-wrath uh, this which is the position that I teach and my position is simply based on the fact of 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 9 that we're not appointed to wrath we there being the church we're not appointed to wrath and so we're going to come back to that point because this it, it that, that helps us when we get back to when we get into the main premises of 310 but right now I'm doing just kind of review so these tribulation saints cannot be part of the church because by this time the restrainer, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, has been removed. Since the restrainer has been removed, that means the, the Holy Spirit's ministry to the believer, to the Christians during the church age, so far as baptizing you into the body, sealing you unto the day of redemption, infilling you, uh, empowering you, and all of that stuff, those ministries cease. According to pre-trib. Now, I'm not, I'm not agreeing with that, but I'm just giving you what pre-trib is saying. Therefore, the saints that are still here are not filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is gone. And those ministries 
those ministries so far that were given to the church are no longer active. So therefore, as Dr. Walvoord says, and Dr. Pentecost in, in their work says, these uh, ministries stop. And so therefore, these people cannot be members of the church because they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. So therefore, these are a second class group of of uh, of saints who the Bible calls them saints. And the interesting thing about that is, it's the same word that Paul uses all through the New Testament, all through his writings. The word saints always means, it's particularly in the epistles, it always means Christians. It, it, it always does. But, of course, we have different rules when we get to Revelation because pre-trib changes, glory to God, equivocates the term to where saints everywhere else means Christians, but when we get to Revelation chapter 13, it doesn't mean Christians. Why doesn't it mean Christians? Because the Holy Spirit is gone. They're not in field. They're not members of the church because no, there's no Holy Spirit to baptize them into the body to make them part of the body of Christ. So, we have this second class group of Christians. Now, mind you, all of this is based on interpreting the Holy Spirit as being the restrainer of Second Thessalonians. And see, this is why this is important. This is why all of this is connected. You know, we're just, we're just not throwing stuff out here. It's all connected. How you read the book of Revelation depends a lot on whether you believe the restrainer is the Holy Spirit or not. Because if you believe the Holy Spirit is the restrainer, then you're saying the Holy Spirit is gone. The people in Revelation that are called saints have nothing to do with the church because the church is gone already. And then part of that, the part of that thought is bolstered or built up by the fact that you do not find the word church used after Revelation 3 and John only uses it in a local sense. The church that is at Ephesus, the church that is at Thyatira, the church that is at, this, at uh, Philadelphia, the church that is at Laodicea, Smyrna and all the other ones. Okay, He's dealing with a specific church and then he uses the plural term churches which there's only one body of Christ if we're talking Pauline theology now there's only one 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 uh, body of Christ one church glory to God so when you say definite article the church the being the definite article when you say the church or a church indefinite article when you say in the church you're talking about the body of Christ whom Jesus Christ is the head and we are the members of his body baptized into his body glory to God Okay, his bride, in other words. So, therefore, all of these things, all of this is based upon interpreting the Holy Spirit as being the restrainer. Because if the Holy Spirit is not the restrainer, then you have no justification whatsoever to declare that the tribute that the, the so-called tribulation saints are not part of the church. They are not part of the church only if you receive the fact that the Holy Spirit is no longer resident in infilling people and baptizing people into the body of Christ. You it, it, th those are those those saints in Revelation 13 that can only be so if you hold to the fact that the restrainer which is the Holy Spirit has been removed if you have no removal of the restrainer ladies and gentlemen you have no basis whatsoever to say these people are not members of the body of Christ you have absolutely no 
basis for that argument at all. That argument is solely bolstered by the fact that you have a resident, present Holy Spirit working in the land. The Bible never says the Holy Spirit was taken because the, Paul never says the uh, the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. Paul doesn't say who it was. So what we have to do is we have to use our Bibles to make that determination. Pre-trib uses a number of scriptures. None of them have anything to do directly with the Antichrist. None of them have anything to do with the end time prophecy. None of them have anything to do with apocalyptic literature. Anything like that. These scriptures like Genesis uh, 6 3. My spirit shall not always strive with men. Let his uh, his day shall be 120 years. You know, it's a, that's a paraphrasing of Genesis 6 3, where they use they, they take the word striving, which does not mean restrain. Okay, it does not mean holding back. You know, and then they use Isaiah 59, uh, 59, 3 or 6, 59. Isaiah 59.9, I think it is. Uh, then they use that. Uh, when the enemy come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord should lift up a standard against them. The uh, word, the, the Hebrew word, lift up a standard, really does not mean restrain, but it actually means of who the, the Lord, the breath of the Lord drives along. If you only get close to a restraining interpretation out of that verse if you use the King James Version of the Bible. If you don't use that version, then uh, the NIV, the NASB, the NLT, the HBCD, the uh, Revised Standard Version, all of those versions uh, translate it uh, different than the King James, and you get it's translated one time as lift up a standard, but it really doesn't mean that. Glory to God, it doesn't mean restrain. And then they go to uh, scriptures and uh, the John Hennian writings, whether it be the uh, the uh, the Gospel of John or uh, in his epistle one or two times where they they use a, a couple of scriptures out of there uh, in the epistles, uh, 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 but mainly to show that uh, the Holy Spirit is referred to in a, in a masculine pronoun, he, him, and all of that. So. So uh, the scriptures that they use to build their case that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit, glory to God, is based on scriptures that have nothing to do with Antichrist, nothing to do with Revelation, nothing to do with end time prophecy. These are just proof texts that are that are not even associated with the subject at hand. The question is, is why did they not go to Revelation and look at the scriptures that deal directly with the Antichrist. If you know you want to know what's actually uh, restraining the Antichrist, you need to look at the scriptures that deal with the Antichrist. And so, um, uh, one of the main scriptures that uh, I use in my argumentation against uh, the position that they hold that it is the uh, Holy Spirit uh, is is actually uh, Revelation 17 uh, and uh, uh, 6. 6 and 7. As a matter of fact, let's go there real quick. I just want to just share this with you so you'll understand where we're coming from. Okay. Uh, beginning at verse number 6 and uh, Revelation chapter 17 uh, then he says and I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus and I saw her and I wondered greatly and the angel said unto me why do you wonder this is John talking and then angels responded to him 
Then angel says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her that has seven heads and ten horns. Footnote here, in uh, uh, Revelation 17, 7, when John says, I will tell you the mystery, the Greek word that is mysterion. Mysterion is uh, uh, a mystery, uh, wisdom or knowledge that is th- that that is in the mind and the counsel of God that is hidden from humans, but is only revealed by divine sources such as the Holy Spirit God Jesus or in this case an angel in other words this is this is hidden information uh, and it, it takes a revelation to, for these to be known so we're actually getting a revelation this is something that John could not have known on his own there had to be a supernatural entity in this case an angel uh, a holy angel that actually broke this down for him so let me go back to verse 7 it says an angel said to me why do you wonder I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her which has the seven heads and the ten horns now footnote here uh, when you see the the symbology of the beast uh, glory to God the therion beast therion means a wild ravenous beast meant to be destroyed we first see uh, the mentions of this as it uh, pertains to the Antichrist uh, mentioned in Revelation uh, chapter uh, 13 we're just going to go there real quick uh, Revelation 13 1 and um, okay and uh, we're going to go to uh, use the KGV for this okay and then it says and I stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns and upon his uh, upon his horns ten crowns and upon his heads the name of blasphemy and the beast that which I saw was like unto a leopard his feet were like the feet of the bear his mouth was the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his his power and his great seat and authority the dragon here is Satan Uh, the aspects where the beast is like a lion like a leopard like a bear glory to God you need to go to Daniel chapter 7 to understand the historic significance of those beasts uh, which were given in Daniel 7 we don't have time to digress and go there but that's where you get the uh, the breakdown of that okay so now that we understand now that we understand the seven heads and the ten horns dealing so far as this is a uh, symbolic representation of the person that we know as the Antichrist. So that's that's we see him rising up out of the sea of humanity. Uh, glory to God in Revelation chapter 13. So now when we go back to Revelation chapter 17, I just wanted to give you that so you, you'll be able to connect it. So let's go back to seven. So now the angel is about to break this down to him. Again, the angel said unto me, verse 7, 17, chapter 17, verse 7. The angel said unto me, wherefore did thou marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carrieth her, which have the seven heads and the ten horns. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. The beast that thou sawest. Which one did he see? Revelation 13, 1. He's rising up out of sea, having seven heads and ten horns. This is the one. Listen to what he says. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. 
and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is now ladies and gentlemen this is tremendously important it's tremendously important and this is something pre-trib does not put factor in to their theory none of them do none of them and this is what caused me to write one of the top pre-tribulation theologians at the time in the one of the top ones in the world Dr. John Walford I keep bringing his name up because I, I know many of you are lay people you may not know that name but that is a <laughs> that is one of the big names in dispensational thought in my in my uh, uh, in the last couple of uh, podcasts remember we did we traced pre-trib back to uh, uh, John Nelson Darby we talked about how he came over to the United States in the eight, uh, 1800s when he came over to the United States he ended up doing a lot of prophetic conferences and things like that one of the people that he hooked up with was Dwight L. Moody okay Dwight L. Moody uh, and, and several others he, he became very popular here in the United States because he was the one who brought dispensationalism pre-tribulationism to the United States he's the one that did it okay and then uh, uh, he hooked up with uh, uh, Dwight L. Moody he also hooked up with C.I. Schofield C.I. Schofield was the one who put out with, with, uh, with through Oxford Press put out the uh, immensely popular Schofield reference Bibles probably one of the best reference uh, Schofield reference Bibles at the time and it's still very popular to this day I still have one glory to God that's how pre-trib basically spread throughout the United States it was and 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 and, and not only that through Schofield but then after uh, people like Moody and all of that embraced Darby when he came over here Schofield also took his teachings and that and all of that but one of the people that used to work with Dwight L. Moody was a guy named Lewis Berry Schaefer Lewis Berry Schaefer who was also a musician now you have to understand Dwight L. Moody was a extremely popular and powerful evangelist in the United States and he used to do a lot of crusades and a lot of revivals but what he would do is he would enlist a, 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 a talented gospel singers and so he had he, he, he used the music ministry was a big part of his ministry so him Lewis Berry Schaefer Lewis Berry Schaefer was also a musician I think he played piano and sang baritone something like that where he was also part of Moody uh, 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 ministry and worked with Moody but uh, 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 CI uh, uh, Lewis Berry Schaefer then got hooked up with um, CI Schofield and started teaching for Schofield at his New York correspondence school well Lewis Perry Schaefer became uh, powerful in his own right he ended up starting Dallas Theological Seminary in 1924 it wasn't called Dallas Theological I think it was the Evangelical Seminary something like that uh, uh, but then in 1936 right around that time they changed the name to Dallas Theological Seminary okay 
Lewis Perry Schaefer then became the first president of Dallas Theological Seminary. And when he died, Dr. John Walvoord took over as the president. Uh, as the president of uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. And he became the head he became the head or one of the chief theologians that taught dispensationalism. So he wrote extensively, just as Louis Perry Schaefer wrote extensively. Right alongside was Dr. P uh, uh, Walvoord, was J. Dwight Pentecost, wrote Things to Come, uh, 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 Charles Ryrie, who wrote the uh, Ryrie Bible. These were the first generations of these people. So... When I ended up challenging pre-trib, I didn't just come out, ladies and gentlemen, just say I'm just going on my own. What I did is when I moved to Dallas, I got I talked to Dr. Walvoord on the phone, okay, and got permission to send a paper to him challenging his position. And I did so with him and Dwight Pentecost. Now I said all of that because I challenged them on this very position. That why did you not use the information in Revelation 17 verse 8 that says the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit? Because now, ladies and gentlemen, we have to deal with that. In Revelation 13, when he's seen rising up out of the sea of humanity, he rises up from somewhere. And the somewhere he rises out from is the bottomless pit. Now, the question is, what is the bottomless pit? So now when we go to Revelation chapter 17, this is all Bible, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not making any of this up. I wouldn't dare spend time with you with some cockamamie theory that I done came up with without biblical backing. And I want you to understand that it's very, very important that you understand that. And listen to what he says. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. He says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Stop right there. The bottomless pit is a place that is under lock and key. Number one. And Angels are the ones who do. Well, let me, as a matter of fact, let me let me let me just keep reading. Verse number two, and he, the angel, laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit. And shut him up, set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. Now listen to this, verse number 7. And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be let shall be loose out of his prison. So now we understand, ladies and gentlemen, what the bottomless pit is. The bottomless pit is a prison. It's a prison for demons. It's a prison that is that was made by God. God made that place. It's a place of detention. When angels or demonic spirits are placed there, they are rendered absolutely powerless 
powerless. But before they are put into the bottomless pit, there is an angel with a chain, with a key that restrains them, set a seal on them. So listen to this. Let's go back to verse number two. And he laid hold, talking about the angel with the key. He, he laid hold to that dragon, the old servant, which is the devil, and bound him a thousand years. Cast him, at verse three, cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. So when this angel got Satan, he it, it wasn't a it wasn't a legion of it wasn't a legion of angels it wasn't six angels it wasn't seven angels it wasn't two it was one angel and it wasn't michael see this is where what i teach departs from the other pre version of the rapture pre raft rapture theory because they claim it's michael and this is why people like Dr. John MacArthur uh, and uh, 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 Dr. Norman Geisler and other th scholars like that, they hop all on that and say it can't be Michael. And there's, a, there's other reasons why they give, which, which I deal with. I, I already deal with that. Glory to God. In, in, the, in the book that I have coming out, Revelation Revolution, the first uh, 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 episode, uh, chapter, uh, edition one, which I, I, I probably release it early next year, first quarter next year. Uh, 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 I talk about how, uh, glory to God, that by eliminating Michael pre-trib think it deals with the angel thing. But the reason why that's an invalid argument is because they do not, the, the uh, uh, people that that teach the other version of pre-wrath, they do not incorporate in their theory the fact that the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit. They just approach Michael is the restrainer based on his involvement in Daniel chapter 12. And Michael, and at that time, Michael the chief prince will stand up for the people and he'll deliver the people. And they, and they take it from that. Uh, Dr. D.A. Carson in the uh, NIV study Bible, another theologian that I actually studied under when I was uh, on staff at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission back in the 90s, I actually took a course, an extension course at uh, Trinity Evangelical Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, I actually took a revelation course and actually took doc, Dr. Donald Carson's course. And many of you may not know him, but he's pinned many commentaries. He's the general editor of the NIV, the, the Zondervan NIV Study Bible. He also, when talking about the restrainer, suggests that it is Michael based on Michael's activity in uh, Daniel chapter 12. But th the reason why I think that it's a mistake because you don't don't need Daniel 12 to talk about the angelic restraints and you don't need to say it's it can only be Michael God has another angel here that's not named that doesn't need to be Michael glory to God that has the key to the bottomless pit we have to connect where the beast comes from and this is what's important you have to understand where the demonic principality of the beast comes from and where he's locked up if you're going to understand with second Thessalonians was talking about where he's being restrained you have to consider that revelation chapter 17 verse number 8 clearly explicitly 
states that the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit. Now, once you know that this beast is the demonic principality who is going to possess the human counterpart, which is the Antichrist. He's the one that gets in him. It's not Satan that possesses the beast. It is the beast, it is the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit. He's the one that does it. Okay? Now, once you understand that this beast is in the comes from the bottomless pit and you understand that the bottomless pit is a prison where not even Satan can get out of. Satan can't even deceive. It, as a matter of fact, when, when these beings are in the bottomless pit, ladies and gentlemen, they are rendered completely powerless. It's like they're not even in existence. This is why John said the beast that y'all saw of was and is not because he wasn't active in John's day. He was active on the scene prior to John's days but in the future shall ascend out of the bottomless pit when it's time Time to get into the son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. He'll be manifested, he'll be revealed. And so that's what Paul is talking about, the revealing of the Antichrist. He's not talking about when people see the guy who signs the covenant, the seven-year peace treaty being revealed that way. He's talking about the apocalypto, which means to be uncovered. He, the, the Antichrist, remember, only has 42 months. He can't be the Antichrist at the beginning of Daniel's 70 week. Now, he might be the guy who will become Antichrist, but he's only Antichrist for 42 months because he's only possessed by this demon for 42 months. He only has 42 months to reign as the Antichrist. The Bible is very specific about that. He can't become the Antichrist till the beast that's in the bottomless pit is let out. Now, since we know there is a demonic aspect of the bottomless, uh, of, of a demonic aspect of the beast that is locked in the bottomless pit we have to factor in if there is a restrainer then you obviously have to say well if he's locked up why come that can't be what's restraining him you see pre-trib didn't use any of this information ladies and gentlemen they went on they went down a whole nother trail and then gave the Holy Spirit the restraining ministry and this is how all of that happened so now if it's the Holy Spirit that has to be taken out of the way if it's the Holy Spirit that's doing a restraining then uh, the Holy Spirit is gone from the earth therefore the Saints of Revelation chapter 13 cannot be members of the church because they're not possessed by the Holy Spirit they're not in the body of Christ because the spirit is gone already that's pre that's how pre-trib tells it but pre-trib didn't use the information from Revelation 17 verses 7 and 8 and this is why I wrote Dr. Walvoord Dr. Pentecost and actually uh, turned uh, gave this information to Dr. D.A. Carson when I was taking this revelation course and of course I got an A minus on it he wrote right on there himself very gifted work okay because I dismantled the arguments from Dr. Pentecost thing to come uh, and wall void I, I dismantled their 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 theories so I said all of that to say this when you don't have the Holy Spirit as being the restrainer that has to be removed that affects how you see revelation and the reason why it affects how you see revelation because now these so-called second-class citizen left behind tribulation saints aren't second-class citizens anymore because 
Free Trib has falsely concluded that it was the restrainer that has to be taken out of the way, which is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is gone. Therefore, these Christians or these believers during the tribulation can't be members of the church. You see how all that fits together? So how you interpret 2 Thessalonians affects how you interpret Revelation. Okay? So, uh, that is just some of the things that we've covered in the last, because I'm up to, I think this is episode 21 now. You you have to go back to go back to about like my my first five or six ones, and then I, I cover all of this extensively. Okay, then they have a, then pre trib does another. They, they do a lot of things. Uh, the, the, then you got the seventh trumpet of Revelation, the seventh trumpet of uh, uh, first uh, uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen and uh, second Thessal uh, first Thessalonians chapter number four. Oh, that trumpet is a different trumpet than uh, the Revelation seven trumpet. Well, the Revelation seven trumpet is important because Revelation eleven eighteen tells us when that trumpet blows, it's the time that God judges the dead. Glory to God. He judges the dead. And which dead does he judge? The saints, the prophets, them that fear his name, small and great, while he's doing wrath on the earth. Very interesting. How is the seventh trumpet? So the pre-trib says, well, the seventh trumpet of Revelation, that's a long trumpet, but the seven, the trumpet of the, uh, 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 First Corinthians chapter 15, that's a short trumpet. So that's how they make the determination. One is a long, blows for a long time. The other one blows in the twinkle of an eye, which is a completely ridiculous. It, it, ladies and gentlemen, that is such a ridiculous argument because number one, uh, first, uh, uh, first Corinthians chapter 15 has nothing to do with the duration of how long the trumpet blows, but the instantaneous in which people will be translated. It has nothing to do with how long the trumpet blows. But they but they superimpose that interpretation in because the argumentation of Revelation, there's another last trumpet in Revelation, which is the seventh trumpet, that has a resurrection in it. And they know that. But to argue against that, they say, well, it's a different one. It's not a different one. It's just a different perspective of the same thing. Glory to God. A lot of people don't know that. Yes, there's a resurrection and the seventh trumpet. Read a revelation. I, I, I cover I cover that as well. There's many things wrong with preach free ladies and gentlemen. It's a whole bunch of stuff. It, it, it you gotta do a lot of reading into a lot of stuff. Now, all of that I've said just to get us to this point. Three ten. Why is three ten important? But before we go there, before we go there, I need to read a couple of verses for you. Because we need to set the stage. The first verse that I'd like to read for you is going to be found in Revelation chapter 14. Let's go there together. Revelation 14. I want to begin reading at verse number 9. Glory to God. The word of the Lord reads, The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If 
any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wrath of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Okay, now I want to just want to stop right there. The wrath of God that is being spoken of here is a wrath that is reserved for people who get the mark of the beast. Now this is important. This is important. So we're not talking about the wrath of God. Now see, pre-trip says the whole seven year period is the wrath of God, is the day of the Lord. We talk about that too. That's, that's just that's not correct. The, the day of the Lord cannot start until the abomination of desolation is in place. It's just, you just you 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 can't start it prior to the very clear line of demarcation that Jesus gives in Matthew 24, 15. You, you, you just can't do it. But besides that, Antichrist only has 42 months and he begins his reign at the beginning, in the middle of the week, all the way to the end. The wrath of God that is spoken of here, ladies and gentlemen, as I'm being very specific, is a wrath that targets people that get the mark of the beast. Okay? So let's, let's look at it again. Verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen. No, no, I'm sorry. Verse number 9. And the third angel followed saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast, so that means the beast has to be in place, and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his or in his hand. So we know what we're talking about. We know we're talking about Revelation 13 f forward. That's what this is talking about. The same, verse number 10, shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Okay, let's look at this wrath that's going to be poured out. But to do that, we got to go to Revelation chapter 16. Okay, let's go to Revelation chapter 16. Verse number 1. And I heard a voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your way and pour out the vials of wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial on the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them and upon them which worship his image. Okay, so now the first thing, the seven, the bowls. Now this is, listen, this, let me, let me use an analogy. During basketball season, you have the regular season, you have the playoffs, you have the championships. Now, 
all of them are basketball games right all of them you, you still got to shoot the ball through the basket so they all have that in common They're all, it's all basketball but the regular season is not the playoffs the playoffs that's, a, that's another level of intensity and, and skill set then it's the championship series okay the championship series is not the playoffs it's only two teams left with the championship and that level of intensity is greater now it's still a basketball game they still got to shoot the ball through the hoop so they're all basketball games but that final group of games is a unique group has similarities to the other ones but it's not the same this is the championship this is why these vials of wrath they are the last okay the wrath of God is completed in them because the wrath of God starts and targets those who have the mark of the beast because God's wrath isn't poured out yet until he walks in that temple and calls himself God. The wrath of God is in response to the desecration of the rebuilt Jewish temple just as Antiochus Epiphanes did in 167 BC which kicked off the Maccabean revolt which, which, which created the miracle of Hanukkah glory to God and it's the same thing that Jesus talked about in his signs of the of his return he looked back to Antiochus Epiphanes and the abomination of desolation that he created there when he took a pagan idol erected it in the most holy place sacrificed a pig on the altar he blasphemed desecrated the most holy place and not only that he made it illegal for Jews to worship he made it illegal for Jews to get circumcised he made it illegal for Jews he sought to change the times and the laws he made it illegal for them to have their Torah, read the Bible, and all of that. These are the same things that are going to happen again under Antichrist. And so once he gets into power, the wrath of God will then be in response to that final Gentile world kingdom that has dared desecrate Glory to God, the temple that was built, persecuting the remnant of the Jews, glory to God, going into Israel, tearing that up, and also persecuting Christian believers. So the first thing on the agenda for the wrath of God, remember what it said in Revelation 14, if any man receive the mark of the beast, the same shall drink of the wrath of God poured out in the cup of his indignation. So now we're looking at the, the, the part A of the wrath of God. Part A of the wrath of God is being fulfilled in, Genesis, in, in our Revelation chapter 16. Let's continue to read. I heard a grace for come out of the temple saying, the seven nations go your, that way and pour out the vials of 
the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and worship his image. So the first thing that is attacked is everybody that gets the mark of the beast. The same thing that is was said in Revelation chapter 14. If any man receiving that mark, the same shall drink of the uh, uh, the wrath of, the, of God. Okay. Then the second angel poured out his vow upon the sea and it became as uh, blood of dead men and every living soul died in the sea. The third angel poured out his war on the rivers of water and they became as blood. I heard the angels and I heard the angel of the waters say thou art righteous O Lord uh, O Lord which art which was and shall be because thou hast judged thus. They have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another uh, another uh, out of the altar say, Even so, Lord Almighty, true and righteous are thy ways, are thy, are thy judgments. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with great heat. There's just a footnote here. Just think about how powerful these angelic beings are God is going to tell an angel to go to the sun and turn it up you know what the sun had, a million earths can fit inside the sun it's 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 and it's it's it, this is power beyond human comprehension just think of that he, he can send an angel to the sun the the, the the angel can go to the sun and maybe go to the center of it maybe it's a thermostat or something I don't know what it is but he had the angel turn up the heat come on now this is beyond comprehension these angels could be living when they say even the angels bow that means something because these creatures are off the chain they are completely above human beings have inconceivable powers as a matter of fact uh, I don't know where it is I don't want to try to find it right now when John was in heaven doing revelation he seen an angel that looked so glorious John started to bow down and worship the angel because he thought the angel was God and the angel said hold up man what you doing don't worship me he said I'm one of your fellow brothers he said worship God worship the Lord he said man you trying to get me in trouble man who do, do, do you bowing to this is how glorious it now now John was already in heaven he was already see, he didn't seen the throne and everything he seen this one angel he thought it was God that's how off the chain these beings are let me keep going verse number 9 and men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God which had power over these plagues and they repented not to give him glory the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast and his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their teeth and gnawed their tongues for the pain and, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the river Euphrates the waters of there were dried up in a way the kings of the east might be prepared and I saw three unclean uh, unclean uh, spirits like frost come out of the mouth of the dragon out of the mouth of the beast out of the mouth of the false prophet they are spirits of devils or spirits of demons working miracles which go forth into the kings of the, uh, of the whole earth to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty they're going to get duped into coming to the Middle East to fight against God but I believe they're going to get lied to 
they ain't gonna they ain't gonna they ain't gonna tell them they fighting against God. They gonna tell them they're they're that we, we got to take a stand for alien invasion. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I know that sounds crazy. Y'all say, oh, Dr. Woods, you done just went there. Let me take a brief excursion. I'm going to come back to this. Look, we got to go. I, I got to do this. I, ha- I have to I have to uh, validate that statement. So let me let me do it with the Bible. OK, so let me let me let me tell you wh- why I say what I say here. So let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 11. We're talking about the two witnesses. Now, this is a good thing. Just listen to this. Verse number three. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days, which is twelve hundred and sixty days, which is, glory to God, three and a half years. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. And devour their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must be in the same manner killed. These have power over the heaven, that in that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. They have power over the waters to turn into blood and to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war with them. Stop right there. Listen to what that just said. The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. Now he is let out. Notice who the Bible gives the credit to. Not the human counterpart. The Antichrist we see. He, they give it to the spiritual entity that's going to possess him. That's the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit. Now he's out ladies and gentlemen. Glory to God. What I said the last time about my last lesson, um, chrono, uh, uh, sequential is not necessary chronological in Revelation. I know uh, chapter 11 comes before 13, but this is actually something that happens during 13, but it's before 13 chapter wise. So that's what I mean by that. Okay, but anyway, let's see. So, Beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. That's really Jerusalem, ladies and gentlemen. That's what God thinks of that's what God thinks of Jerusalem right now. Okay? Sodom and Egypt. Glory to God. Where also our Lord was crucified. So now we know what we're talking about. And they of the people and the Kendricks and the tongues and the nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. Now listen to this. This has to be a 21st century phenomenon because we're the only generation that's able to see in real time around the world because we have satellites in the, uh, in the stars in the sky that's up there. We got cable TV, we got the internet, we got phones. We can all plug in and see something that's happening in another part of the world as it's beamed in real time. This is only, you you couldn't have did this in Benjamin Franklin's day while he was out there with a kite looking for some electricity. You couldn't have did that with Thomas Edison and Alexander Bell's telephone. 
you couldn't have done that. No, you need space exploration. You need an advanced human race, okay, in order for this to happen. But we ain't gonna stop there. Verse number ten. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying, come up hither. And they ascended up into heaven in a cloud. I want you to listen to this now. And their enemies beheld them. Now, I want you to imagine this happening today. I want you to imagine CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, Al Jazeera, BBC, all of the nations in the world got their cameras on these guys. The Bible says the entire planet is going to be celebrating. They're going to be sending gifts one to another because they finally killed these guys. The person that killed them is if they're partying over them being dead. They're also at the same time celebrating the one who did it. And that's what makes Antichrist. That's what makes him famous in the world. It's not going to be the, the Covenant he signs seven years, uh, three and a half years earlier. No, that's not going to be it. It's going to be when he kills these two witnesses. Now, some say the two witnesses, this is, happens at the end. This is not at the end of the tribulation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is at the first half. Glory to God. We'll get into why, why the timing doesn't work. Just think about it. If it was the last half, that means we'd have to be at the end of the tribulation. That's when Jesus comes back with his saints. That's when Armageddon is being fought. Where is there going to be time for the whole world to be sending gifts to one another when God is pelting the world with hailstones, 100 pounds hailstones, and doing great earthquakes and all of that? That's what happens during the wrath of God. And then Jesus comes back with his saints. They fight in Armageddon they, with that sword that goes out. The blood is going to flow for 200 miles at, at, at six feet deep. Where is it going to be somebody doing a worldwide party that's why the timing doesn't work these people cannot be in the last half they have to be in the first half this is what makes antichrist famous this is what gives him world prominence because he kills the two witnesses and while the world is partying they're also celebrating him and so this is why in revelation 13 you have them saying who can make war with the beast who is who who is like the beast who can make war with him because no one will have been able to kill the two witnesses but he, but the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit at that time he's let out of the bottomless pit the first thing on his calendar kill the two witnesses because their 1260 day ministry uh, uh, will be over three and a half years right in the middle that's when Antichrist starts his 42 months now, but the point is, while the cameras are on these two witnesses, all of a sudden, they're going to rise come to life. But they don't just stand on their feet. The Bible says they are taken up to heaven in a cloud and they go up into heaven while people watching them. Now, what do you think they're going to tell the world? You think they're going to say, oh, go get your Bible, read Revelation chapter 11. They ain't going to say that. 
Bibles is going to be outlawed. Antichrist is going to do the same thing that his predecessor, his anti-type, historical anti-type, Antiochus Epiphanes did. The Bible is going to be illegal. Christians are going to be high. They're going to be modern people, right? Same thing that has happened. Same thing that happened in the first, second, third centuries. Christians are going to get killed. Jesus said, I'm telling you stuff ahead of time. Okay? But while they are looking at them, these people will go up into space, ladies and gentlemen. We don't call, we don't say the heavens now. He's going to be taken up and they're going to go out of sight. They're going straight up. You know, when the space shuttle take off and it goes straight up, right? It first it starts in the cloud. Well, our eyes follow it as far as it can go, right? But that's because it's on its way to space. What do you think they're going to say? You think they're going to tell the truth? No, they're going to tell the same lie that we've been getting told for decades. That they are alien beings. They're from another planet, another galaxy. The proof is in the pudding. After they got killed, they came back to life. See there? They told you they wasn't human. We weren't able to kill them for three and a half years. They had all this power over the weather and all that stuff. They're not human beings, alien beings. So when they take up and take off, they're going to lie. And the, and the world is going to believe it. You know why the world is going to believe it? Because we've been seeing it in our movies all these decades. Attacks from space, Transformers, Klingons, loss in space, E.T., invasions of the body snatches, all of this stuff. The devil has been planting this narrative through movies and TVs, cartoons for decades. I remember before Stephen Hawking's dad, the, uh, the celebrated astrophysicist that was in a wheelchair, all deformed and stuff, but a brilliant man. He said, if they are alien beings, they'll be hostile if they come to the earth. He said the reason why they'll be hostile is because they'll be more advanced than us. The reason why they'll be more advanced if they are able to get here from a distant galaxy, that means they're more advanced. He says, and the more advanced civilization always takes over the less advanced. And he, he said, just like the, what happened with the Europeans and the Indians. That was Stephen Hawking said that. So this, so we've all been taught to fear what comes from outer space. We've all been taught that. We've been taught it in our movies. We've been taught it in our TV series. One of the biggest scientific genres for decades has been attacks from outer space. Invasions from outer space. People on other planets. We're still searching for these th beings. Okay? So when these people, these two prophets take up from the earth, ladies and gentlemen, and the sight of everybody, see, this is why the Bible is letting us know. People are going to see this. Do you think they are going to say God raised these people? Of course they're not going to say that. They're going to say these people were from outer space. If they were from outer space and they went up, then at some
point, they're going to return. And this is why Revelation chapter number 16, let's go back to it, is so important. These lying spirits, demons, verse number 14, 13, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. But they are spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth to the kings of the earth, of the whole earth, and to gather them together to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, the Middle East, the plain of Megiddo, they're going to attack Israel. All that's going to happen. Gog and Magog. Another footnote here. I know a lot of evangelicals, a lot of Trump supporters were applauding Trump when he moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to American embassy anyway, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and declared Jerusalem the capital. How they were just giddy over that. Well, at the same time, they turned a blind eye to how our president is in the pocket of Russia. And how Trump's betrayal of the Kurds has opened the door for Turkey, Syria, Russia, and Iran to fill the void that America leaves. So while on one hand they applaud Trump, oh, he's a great Israel supporter, yeah, 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 the rapture is about to happen because the embassy was moved. That's because they're all pre-trib. That's why they're so so giddy about what he's doing with Israel because they're, they're looking, oh, the rapture about to happen any minute now. But they're turning a blind eye to what this man is doing with Russia and ladies and gentlemen, it is Gog and Magog who invades Israel. Ezekiel 38 and 39 are very clear on this. Gog and Magog come with Gomer, Tagarma of the North Quarters. Tagarma of the North Quarters is Turkey, ladies and gentlemen. This is why Turkey is so important. And he mentions Persia. Persia is Iran. Libya and Ethiopia and all these other Muslim nations. This is what you're seeing right now. We've got a president that's in bed with the Russians. And the Republicans know it. The evangelicals know it. But as long as he's doing something with Israel, oh, but they quiet as a church mouse when it comes to Russia. And it's the Russians, the Syrians, the Iranians, and Turkey that we have to watch. Because with Russia, these would be the ones who attack Israel. This is Bible. Ezekiel 38-39. We'll cover that one day. So yes, there will be 
armies that come to Israel, they'll come for different reasons. But the bottom line is, is once they are all there, they will have been gathered there by the demons that come out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, out of the mouth of Satan, to go to the kings of the earth to gather them, to bring them to this place called Megiddo. Why are they going to come for the battle of the great day of God Almighty? But I guarantee you, they're not going to be told who it is they're really going to be fighting. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, there is actually going to be an invasion of the earth by a hostile force. It is going to happen. But I must tell you this. It's not going to be Darth Vader. It's not going to be the Klingons. It's not going to be E.T. or the Transformers. Let me tell you who it's going to be. They coming from out there. Satan has been lying to us all the time and telling us if it comes from out there, it's evil. If it comes from out there, it's wicked. They come into temp, but it's a lie. They have been setting the whole stage. These movies are not, and these programs are not incidental. Satan is the prince and the power of the air. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11. The word of the Lord reads. And I saw heaven opened. Uh oh. And behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness do he judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vetcher dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. Verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven, followed him on white horses. Oh, glory to God. Whoo, the earth is going to be invaded, ladies and gentlemen. From an army from heaven, it's going to look like they're coming from outer space. They're going to actually invade the earth. So what Satan has been doing all this time is he turned the tables and said, whatever that comes from out there, we got to get ready to fight it. Earth, let's take a stand. And that's what these demons are going to do. They're going to go to the kings of the earth and say, Lord, come on, y'all. I know we came over here. Y'all came over here to attack Israel. Y'all came over here to fight against this. Y'all came over to do that. Okay, but now that everybody's here, let's get together. Let's get on one accord and train our weapons 
up into the heavens because when these people come, we want to blast them out of the sky. But oh, are they going to have a surprise? Ain't going to be no spaceships. Ain't going to be no laser beams. Ain't going to be no photon torpedoes and phasers. Ain't going to be no shields. And no missiles, cruise missiles, nuclear missiles is going to stop this army. They are going to get a shock that they never expected. When they see the Lord. But it's going to be too late. Let me get back to what I was teaching. See, that, that was just an excursus, okay? That was a lesson within itself. That's a freebie now. That's a freebie. That's a freebie. So, you have this whole scenario with the wrath of God. You've got him coming down to the earth. Let me keep reading. He said, verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp two-edged sword. I'm still in Revelation 19, verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that he should smite the nations and he should rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. This is the culminating event. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come gather yourselves together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings the flesh of captains flesh of mighty men horsemen all of that he says and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and his army and the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that worked the miracles before him which deceived them that received the mark of the beast and then that worship his image, both of these were cast alive into the lake of fire. And the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse. The sword proceeded out of his mouth and the fowls were filled with their flesh. I want you to get this scenario. You know how dark the clouds look on a very cloudy thunderstorm day I want you to imagine this those same dark clouds but it not being clouds it's the birds oh god Woo, I feel the spirit it is the birds that God calls from all over the planet he has one of the angels speak to him Now, 
not just the birds maybe that eat flesh like eagles and hawks and all of that it may be all the birds even the herbivores think do you not not know that God can change the nature of an animal that's what happens in the millennium he said the lion is going to eat straw That means he can change the nature of an animal and make make a, a lion that's a carnivore stop eating meat but eat grass. He could take a bird that normally eats grass and make them eat flesh. So I got a clean up job. He calls for the birds to do it. Ezekiel 38 and 39 it talks about how God is going to people are going to have jobs burying the bodies it's going to several several, uh, several out employment just finding bodies and burying them it's going to take a long time to clean up the earth but the first people that's going to be involved in it is going to be the birds God has everything in creation at his disposal to fulfill his plans. We forget about that. That's why you can't stop a prophecy from God. You don't know how he's going to do it. You don't know how he's going to fulfill it. I think in one of my other lessons I taught, God can use a mosquito to bite somebody, send them to the hospital, and change, and change the course of a nation. You don't know what you don't know what's out there that can take you out. It don't have to be a bullet. It don't have to be you slipping and falling down the stairs. You could be swimming in a lake and get one of those uh, uh, amoebas that the, it killed a little girl not too long ago. Got in her ears a flesh, a brain-eating amoeba that got in that girl's brain. The killer started eating her brain. A killer. She was she was dead in like three days. You don't know what God can use to take you out. Or take a nation out. Or change change history. Glory to God. So. We see this aspect. Of the wrath of God. But this is not the only aspect. Of the wrath of God. Let's go back to Revelation 14. There's another aspect of the wrath of God. Revelation 14. Verse number 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Alright? Then there's a semicolon there. And the reason why there's a semicolon there because the first part of that wrath of God we see fulfilled in Revelation 16. And just to accommodate the preached ribs here, let's just say all of the stuff in Revelation. 
that's an aspect of it. But on the other side of that semicolon, it's a different aspect of the wrath of God. What is it? And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they shall have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and so whoever who see the mark of his name. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what we just read with the Lord returning and the birds doing all that stuff and all those bowls of wrath and all that, that's one aspect of the wrath of God. But we just read another aspect of the word of wrath of God. Which does not happen during Daniel's 70th week. There is another aspect of the wrath of God that's worse than the Great Tribulation. That's worse than the 100-pound hailstones. That's worse than demon locusts. That's worse than trees being born up, uh, burnt up, and, and grass. You know, every time I look at these California fires, I just be thinking, man, what is going on? All these fires. Stuff could be happening around us, ladies and gentlemen. We don't even realize it's happening. Anyway. There is an aspect of the wrath of God that is worse than anything that occurs during Daniel's 70th week. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Beginning at verse number 11. The word of the Lord reads, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them oh let's just deal with that Ladies and gentlemen, God in His 
awesomeness. And his absolute power. When he convenes the great white throne judgment, all created reality gives way to his presence. The heavens and the earth themselves retreat. As the King James Version says, they fled away. Let me just pick this up in the NIV. And I saw a great white throne in him that was seated on him, and the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for him. In other words, I, 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 well, we don't have any language or a, a ability to be able to understand this, but if it's saying what it's saying, that created reality in the universe, the stars, the heavens, and all of that, that itself, because it proceeds out from God, and it, it, because it takes God to hold it all together, that it itself retreats. It fled. It flees away. The earth. The heavens itself, the stars, all of it gets out of God's way. It is beyond what a human being could even imagine. But I want you to listen to this. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is the purest and most intense form of the wrath of God. 
when we go back to Revelations, the, remember we just got finished talking about the uh, lake of fire. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 14. Now, let's look at it. Verse number 9. The third angel followed them and said with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now, we saw that in Revelation chapter 16. When they poured out the wrath of God, the first thing that was attacked were the people that had the mark of the beast. So we know we're talking about the same wrath here. Check this out. Alright? Which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Semicolon. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever and they shall have no rest day or night. Now, that part of the wrath of God happens after the millennium. It happens. It's called the second death. The second death, glory to God, is when people are thrown into the lake of fire. So what you're getting here in Revelation 14 is you're getting two aspects of the wrath of God. You're getting the Revelation 16 version, semicolon, then they're jumping forward to the second death, the lake of fire. That's where people will burn forever and ever with no rest day or night and the smoke of their torment will rise up forever and ever and ever and ever because they gonna be burning forever and ever and ever and ever and that happens at the after the great white throne where the verdict is guilty and the sentence is the second death. This is important. When we speak of the wrath of God, we're not just talking about Daniel's 70th week. We're also talking about the great the verdict that comes from the great white throne judgment, the second death, which is to be thrown in the lake of fire. This is going to be important to when we get back to the main premise of our series. This is just the introduction. We're dealing with 310. That's Revelation 310, the Church of Philadelphia. We're going to tie in why this is significant when you get to that. Remember, 
Daniel's 70th week, the Great Tribulation, are not all there is to the wrath of God. The wrath of God also includes the verdict that comes from the great white throne judgment, which is the second death. The second death is people thrown in to the lake of fire for eternity. I submit to you, the lake of fire is far worse than Daniel's 70th week. It's not even a comparison. It's the Daniel's 70th week is tiddlywinks compared to eternity. Daniel's 70th week is seven years, seven earth years. The verdict of the great white throne judgment, the second death, that's burning forever with no rest day or night forever not seven years you know one of the the plagues that are in Revelation 16 do you know if people had a choice with dealing with that noise and sore and dealing with the hailstones and dealing with the bottle of Armageddon and all that stuff the demon locusts whatever do you know they, they'd rather deal with that than to hop off in that lake of fire forever? The Great Tribulation is the worst thing that happens to humanity during this age. Since Adam all the way up to the end of the millennium. It's the worst thing that, yeah, without a doubt. But it's not the worst thing. The worst thing is the purest form of God's anger. Like I said, tribulation, Daniel 7 week, that's only seven years. That's nothing, ladies and gentlemen. So when we think of the wrath of God, we can't just think in terms of the 70 week of Daniel. That's the mistake that pre-tribulationists make. We're going to tie it in to 310. But before we end tonight, let me read something for you from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 8 through 10. will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out of the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled among all those who have believed. This includes you 
because you believed our testimony. Now let me just back up a little bit. Let's go back to verse 6. Switch over to NASB. For after all, it is only just for you, for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Now this is where I, this is where I want to stay. This is where I want to focus. Eternal destruction. That's talking about the second death. It's interesting. Destruction. Okay, let me let me let me let me let me just give you a how I kind of process this. You know when you blow something up with dynamite or a bomb, how it's destroyed. Boom! How that how that bomb just obliterates it in a second. That's destruction. A real big bang, if you will. That's destruction. But the Bible talks about eternal destruction. So I want you to imagine an explosion that never stops exploding. You know, an explosion blows its own self out. Boom! And then stuff is flying all over. But just a and that's destroyed, that brings destruction. But this and then that's annihilation. But hell is not annihilation. Hell is eternal destruction. It's like the explosion that never ends. What do you think about that? For eternity. So here in Second Thessalonians, God is saying, I am going to repay these people who afflicted you. I'm going to get them. But I'm going to get them with eternal destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the purest form of the Word of God.
this has been the introductory course. The introductory lesson to a larger series called 310. 310. Tune in because not only are we going to give some cover some eye-opening material, but we're going to address probably one of the holdout coup d'etat scriptures that pre-trib uses to prove that the rapture happens with the Church of Philadelphia. It's one of their most important scriptures. 310. You have to stay tuned. Listen, this has been Dr. Dennis James Woods. I hope you enjoyed this. I look forward to ministering to you soon. In Jesus' mighty name, welcome to the Revelation Revolution.